and we're full of thanksgiving and gladness. Yes, we are. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of, God, of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Let's pray together. Our Father, you may be seated. Well, today we are beginning a new series in the Gospel of Mark. The one gospel I've never preached through, so we're going to go through this together for the first time. How's that? You might think that's kind of weird since my name is Mark. I've never done this, but it's still true. Okay. That may be the reason why I've never done it. I don't know. Uh, let me begin by reading verses 1 through 11. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to meet him, 
went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of Mark. Now, it's just to give you a little bit of info here that isn't necessary to understanding the text. Uh, when was this gospel written? Well, especially in the 19th, 20th century, uh, the so-called scholars have decided, many of them decided, oh, God, the gospel of Mark had to have been written first because it's the shortest. And the others expanded on what he did. Now, what was the statement? What was the evidence from the early church? What did the early church fathers say? The early church fathers said Matthew first, Luke second, Mark third, John quite a bit later than all three of those gospels. Well, why would Mark, this more abbreviated gospel that basically has very little uh, unique information. It's mostly what you also see in Matthew, what you also see in Luke. Why would it be shorter? And I can remember being presented with this. Well, it, just, it makes no sense that Mark wasn't written for... And I thought, have these people never... Now, some of you old people will understand what I'm saying. You ever heard of a Reader's Digest condensed book? <laughs> the condensed version of the larger... What are you talking about? It can't be for it can't be other than first because it's nonsense. What did the early church say about the Gospel of Mark? It was written by Mark, who accompanied Peter in the last few years of Peter's own public ministry. And in fact, what could the early church father said what we call the Gospel of Mark could authentically be called the Gospel of Peter. Because Mark is actually presenting what he apparently would have heard from Peter in his public ministry and public teaching. So this is Mark's pulling together Peter's testimony. And so that, is a, that was the statement of the early church. And in fact, Matthew was written first, Luke was written second. The Gospel of Luke was accompanying the Apostle Paul while the Apostle Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And that's where the, God, the book of Acts ends. Well, the Gospel of Luke was written, and then the book of Acts was written. By the way, Luke would have interviewed a whole lot of these people. Luke was not a personal witness. 
just as Mark was not a personal. Luke was an outrageous historian. He sat down and interviewed people. By the way, Luke was a physician. He was a very highly educated man. He knew how to do this research. He knew how to do this work. And so here we have Mark's statement, but it's really, according to the early church father, it's really Peter's core information that he shared in discipling people. So the first verse, the beginning of the gospel, the opening stages of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus, the, Jesus Christ, the term Christ, the Greek is the, it's a transliteration. It's the Greek, in the Greek text, it's Christos, meaning anointed one. Well, what was the Hebrew term? Mashiach was the Hebrew term, which we anglicize to Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed, promised anointed son of David. He was the descendant of David who would take the throne in David's lineage. Jesus is the Messiah. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of God. Oh yes, he is that son of David. But most importantly, he is the son of God. The son of God. What does that now huge statement, obviously, as we know from the doctrine of the Trinity, which is a biblical doctrine, by the way, the number one verse to go to for the doctrine of the Trinity is Matthew 28, where Jesus is speaking to the apostles. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he says to the apostles, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's stop right there. What does it mean, and Eric and I went over this a couple days ago on the internet, uh, in John 3.16, for God so, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does only begotten son mean? It means the full heir of the father's estate. The only begotten son, if a for example, the, the parable of the, uh, of the uh, prodigal son. When the father divided his for fortune between his sons, the older son would have gotten two-thirds, the younger son would have gotten a third, while the younger son, the prodigal, went off and wasted it. By the way, that's what prodigal, prodigalism is. It's wasting. He went off and wasted a third of his father's wealth that he had received. He comes back... But an only begotten son means one son getting it all. So Jesus knew, I am in line to receive the fullness of the estate. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has just gone through the crucifixion event, the resurrection. He's completed the 40 days by the way, 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Israel was 40 years in the wilderness getting out rid of all the knuckleheads they could. They got good. Jesus is going to spend 40 days in the wilderness. Why? Being tested to prove his authenticity, to prove his purity, to prove his loyalty to his Father. Forty is the number of testing. Jesus rose from the dead and was with the apostles. Forty days. Why? Well, if he had only appeared to them once, somebody could have said, oh, 
you just had an apparition. You just had, and, and. no, he appeared to them over and over and over again. He said, here, feel me, here, give me a piece of fish and a, uh, that honeycomb to eat. <laughs> here, Thomas, put your finger in the nail prints and your hand in my side. Yes, my Lord and my God. What does he say in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've stepped into the fullness of my inheritance. Why? I completed the task my Father gave me to do. I've qualified myself to be receive the fullness of the inheritance. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world baptize and preach to them, baptizing them in, Dorothy, in the name, singular, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God who is three persons, baptizing them. And so when they take a public profession of loyalty to me, of following me, they are declaring their embracing the concept of a God who is a triunity, a God who is three, one God who is three persons. That is the baptism declaration when we, we publicly step into his embrace in the community's eyes. In the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, he is true God from eternity past. What does John say in John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, let me back up. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. It was a ruin and a desolation. My opinion that I did not originate this is that Satan had been cast down and turned this angelic resort into a dump. Chapter 1, verse 3 of Genesis. And God said. And God said. And God said. And Jesus, God the Son stepped in and restored the creation that was destroyed into a paradise again. What does John the Apostle say in Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning. was the word, the logos, the speaker. And God said, and God said, and God said, in the beginning was the word, the speaker, the logos. And the speaker was with God, and the Greek prefix is pros, meaning face to face, before God. And this is the Greek word, word order, kai theos ein halagos. And God was the word. It's as emphatic as it possibly be. It was unexpected in Greek just as much as in English. And God was the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> John says. He is fully God. And he became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the word, tended, tabernacled among us. Just like the, the Shekinah glory of God in the Holy of Holy, he tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the full heir of the estate. In the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
John the Baptist's job is to be the herald of the king. The herald of the king. The passage we read from Isaiah 40. Let me turn back to that for a moment. Now this is phrased in a very poetic way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, what was the job of a herald? Now we tend to just get this picture of somebody walking maybe... uh, 40 or 50 feet in front of the emperor or the king riding on his beautiful horse and he's going before the emperor or the king down there. That was not it. (laughs) The job of the herald, let's say you're the emperor of the Persian Empire, okay? You want to make sure that your uh, appointed officials, your governors are actually getting the job done. And one of their jobs is to, and so you're going to go check up on various governors and provinces at different times. You can't do the whole empire in one, day, one year. So what you would do is you would bring, take one of your court officials and say, okay, go speak to the governor of this province over here and tell him I am coming. And he better be ready. That job is going to go warn that governor. What's the governor going to do? Well, what is the path the emperor is going to take? Coming in here. Well, here's the path he's going to take. Here's where he's going to be journeying. Job one, fill the potholes. Every valley will be exalted. This is a very poetic way of saying, fill the potholes. And the bumps in the road, level them out. You don't want the emperor getting bounced around (laughs) because your roads weren't. He's going to be really upset with you. I wish that the uh, guys here in Texas would get this. (laughs) Do a little bit better job with the roads, right? Okay, I think we can all amen that, right? Amen. Okay, but that was the job of the herald, was to warn the governor of the coming of the emperor or the king, and they would make sure that road he was going to be traveling on was absolutely the most perfect in the province. All the bumps are leveled out, and the potholes are filled, and... I know it's a very poetic way it's phrased here in Isaiah, but that's really what it means. Except that the job of John the Baptist is the potholes and the bumps in our hearts and our spirits. John the Baptist went to the people of Israel. Actually, they went to him to hear this message. They knew he was a prophet from God. They knew he was God's spokesman, and they came to hear him so that the bumps in their heart road and the potholes in their heart road, their spirit issues, would be addressed because the king is coming. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means metanoia. Change your outlook. Change your mind. Change your orientation. Get it right. Because the king is coming. And what did the Jewish people know? They went to the synagogue. They didn't Unless they were extremely wealthy, they didn't have any copies of the Scripture themselves. They would go to the synagogue, and a rabbi, a scribe, would read the Scripture to them. 
What do they know from the Hebrew prophets about the coming kingdom? It is a time, the initial phase is a time of great, great, great terror. Where God is going to address the wicked according to the reality of their wickedness. And they're going to take it. And he's going to deliver the righteous. Well, if you are a wicked person, and you know it, because God the Holy Spirit has given you that understanding, you know you've got to repent. You've got to reorient. I need to get these issues addressed. And what did John the Baptist say? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Judgment is about to come. And the Hebrew prophets are full. Well, again, I keep suggesting, read Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14. Outrageously graphic. Outrageously graphic. The judgment is coming. They knew about the battle of Armageddon. They didn't want to be on the wrong side. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's John the Baptist's message. Now, one of the things about John the Baptist that is very instructive to us is that he was a man of outrageous humility. Notice, he didn't just speak this message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He acted it out. The people had to actually go to him in the wilderness area on the east side of the Jordan River. The Jerusalem's on the west side of the Jordan River. They had to go a couple days or three days to get across the Jordan to where John the Baptist was. He's dressed in what we would call potato sack. He is dressed in this mess of hides. He's eating locusts and wild honey. What in the, why are you there, John the Baptist? Why don't you go to, why are you out there eating this nonsense? Why are you out there dressed this way? He is actually living the lifestyle of Israel, Israel's people under judgment. What would happen in any area that had an invading army come in? Well, the, our, the soldiers that came in with the invaders... Their number one job is when we go back home, we want to come away with as much plunder as we can. And so as the soldiers came upon this farmhouse or this city or what, the soldiers are actually going to go in, they're going to steal all of the clothing. Clothing is valuable. They're going to steal all the clothing. They're going to empty all the pantries. All the food will be taken away. All the livestock will be taken away. Anybody that survives, which not many of them will, most of them will be put to the sword. Anybody that survives, they're not going to have any clothing available. They're not going to have any food. They're, they're going to be eating locusts and wild honey, whatever they can scrounge out for in the wilderness. And that's why John adopted that lifestyle. It was part of his message. Israel, this is what awaits you. This is what is coming. Believe me. This is how seriously I take my message. And they had to go out to him in the wilderness. And, here, and the Holy Spirit incited them to do this. But what's he saying? I am the herald. 
I'm not the king. I'm not the one who's going to be bringing judgment. I have been sent to you, as it says in Isaiah 40, I'm going to be the, I am the herald. The king is coming. And he preached this message for two or three years. And many, many, many Jews heard the message. They went out there, took the effort to go out there. They heard the message. They believed it was true. And he baptized them. That was their public declaration to their culture, <coughs> to their community. I have embraced the message of warning from, the, from John the Baptist. So baptism was a public declaration. By the way, it comes from the book of Leviticus. It was a ritual cleansing. When lepers were cleansed, they were, went through this ritual cleansing. So it was a declaration, I have completely changed my orientation. I'm not the person I used to be. I'm not the, I have a completely new orientation. John the Baptist is set forth to us by the Lord Jesus as the most the best example there is of what it means to be a follower these this is the words of Jesus about John the Baptist Matthew 11:11 11, 11. easy to remember Matthew 11:11 11, 11. assuredly i say to you among those born of women there has not been one greater than John the Baptist. But now this is a shocking statement. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? Wait a minute. You just said he's the best of the best. But what made John the Baptist the best of the best? He embraced humility. He deliberately went out to a very uncomfortable place to live, the wilderness. He wore weird clothing, <laughs> probably very uncomfortable clothing. He ate locusts and wild honey. That's not on anybody's menu. To get the message across. He put the communication of the message first. The job that his God and Father had given him, that comes first. He humbled himself to get that job done. And Jesus says, there's nobody greater than this man. Oh, but if you can find some way to humble yourself even more. Among those born of women, there is, not, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he is least, even less than him, even more humble than him, in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If you can find some way to be even more humble, you will get a reward that John the Baptist, the reward that John the Baptist has a right to expect from the Father is outrageous because the measure by which we are humble here is the measure by which we will be exalted there. And if you can find some way to be more humble than him, you will find yourself even more exalted than him. He's not saying be a competitor. He's saying this is the example to follow.
This is the example to follow. So returning to Mark chapter 1. But this is who is doing this speaking. Behold, I, uh, it, is, it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Why did John the Baptist go to the wilderness? Because the, pro, the Holy Spirit had pushed that through Isaiah's pen. In the wilderness. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You don't want to be dwelling in your sins when Messiah shows up. Then all the land of Judea, wow, then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all, all, all huge response baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins taking ownership of their sins now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist this isn't camel's hair could you imagine how itchy that would be Cloth made, uh, woven out of camel's hair? With a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. In that culture, the most outrageously humble thing you could do for another person would be to deal with their feet. That's why you find three, three and a half years later when Jesus is in the upper room with the apostles and they have refused to wash each other's feet. Why? They just walked through the outrageously, outrageously, outrageously filthy streets of Jerusalem. And coming in the door, they take their sandals off and in the typical household, <clears throat> the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest slaves' job was to wash feet because it was the most obnoxious thing you could do. They didn't have sewage systems. They threw their chamber pots out into the streets. And they, the apostles, had refused to wash one another's feet. So Jesus steps up, takes off his decorative garment, wraps himself with a towel, and he goes around and starts washing feet. To the shock of the apostles, nobody's saying a word to you. He gets halfway around the table, he gets to Peter, and Peter says, stop it, you're, humili you're embarrassing yourself. Stop it! I will not let you wash my feet. Well, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Well, my hands and my head too then. Hey! Peter, you've had a bath. Stop it! <laughs> He finishes washing their feet and then he says the one who is the foot washer is the greatest of my disciples John the Baptist washer verse 7 and he preached 
saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. Am I worthy enough to wash his feet? What was considered the most grotesque, horrible task, am I worthy to perform that task? And John isn't just saying these words. This is truly what he is, he is in his spirit. Indeed, I baptize you with water. What am I? I'm baptizing you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very interesting. In the other gospel accounts, it says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the holy wind, and fire. Well, it's very interesting. In the ancient world, when you harvested your wheat or barley, you had the place where you were going to, you wanted to separate the chaff from the grain itself. You don't want, you don't want that crusty cover on the, on the grain to be part of your bread. Ah. No, what you would do is you would have this, this place of rock, level rock, on a hilltop, on a hilltop. And you would take your grain that you had harvested, you put it up there, and then you will trample around on it yourself or your, aunt, your oxen. You want to get that chaff broken off the grain. And then once, once the chaff is pretty well separate, it's still all there in a big pile, but it's been broken off, then you, why are you on a hilltop? So you can have as much wind as possible to blow the chaff away. And otherwise, you have a winnowing fan. You get this fan, and you blow the chaff away yourself so that you can then harvest the grain. Well, it says the Holy Spirit, will they will harvest the grain and then burn up the chaff. That's a warning from Jesus. The harvest is about to come. Will you be the grain harvested into the barn, or will you be the chaff that is burned up on the hilltop, because the farmers would burn up the chaff. The Holy Spirit will baptize you with wind, a cleansing, or with fire. Folks, you don't want the fire baptism. No. This is the same thing Jesus says to, John, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You must be born of the water and the wind that is the Holy Spirit. The water cleanses, the wind cleanses, but you don't want the fire baptism. By the way, I've heard of people around here in the American culture that are part of certain denominations, they want that baptism of fire. No. You don't know what Jesus is saying there. You don't want that. No. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, cleansing you. The cleansing of water, as again Jesus says to Nicodemus, who says, how can this be? Are you the rabbi of Israel? And what I'm talking about, Isaiah the prophet, I will pour water on him who is thirsty. I will pour floods on the dry ground. That is, I will cleanse Israel by, I will pour out my spirit on Israel. And then the Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel speak to the ruach, to the wind to come and fill these carcasses. And the wind, the ruach, comes and fills them up. Well, that's really a picture of the Holy Spirit's work of giving life to, the, to Israel in that day of coming judgment. 
That's what John the Baptist is talking about. And when Jesus starts his public ministry, what's his message? Exactly the same. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, a town of humility. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What prophet has ever come from Galilee? (laughs) Jesus is also modeling that humility. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus submitted to John's baptism, and he's the very one that John has been heralding. And immediately, coming up from the water, now in my New King James, it says he with a capital H. Uh, I think it's actually should be, I think it's actually John the Baptist, because he's the nearest antecedent. Although Jesus would have seen it, they both would have seen it. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is called the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Here's a, you know, one of the things that I think is just beautiful about God and His Word and His communication of humility is that you've got prophetic patterns that are fulfilled later on. You had a fellow in the Old Testament era by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God. Samuel was a priest. priest. He was a miracle baby. His, he was actually from the tribe of Ephraim, not Levi. He was an Ephraimite. But his mother Hannah and his father and his father's other wife and children all would come once a year to the tabernacle to worship. And Hannah was there after several years of not being able to bring forth a child. And she is crying out to God. Very, very emotional outcry. And so much so that Eli the high priest says, uh, we really prefer that people not get drunk before they come <laughs> and pray. And Hannah says, I have not touched one drop of liquor. I'm praying in this animated way because of the sorrow of my heart. Because I have been without a child. I have no child, no child, no child. And Eli prophetically says to her, you will have a child. It's going to happen. And she and her husband and her her husband's other wife and her, they all went home and she got pregnant. She had that child, Samuel. And when Samuel was weaned, and by the way, women often breastfed to the third or fourth year. (laughs) When he was weaned, Hannah came with her husband. She had stayed home the intervening time. She brought Samuel and brought him to the tabernacle. And what should be done according to Levitical law is off presenting offering, transferring. He's the eldest son. The eldest son had priestly responsibility. They were to present an offering that transferred his priestly responsibility over to somebody in the tribe of Levi. If that didn't happen, then he retained his priestly responsibility. And Hannah and her husband bring Samuel and they give him to Eli. 
the high priest. You complete his raising. He is going to be a priest. They never transferred his responsibility. So he became a priest. He also became a Nazarite, never cutting his hair. And Samuel later on anointed Saul. He later on, when God said to Samuel, I'm taking the kingdom away from Saul, I'm giving it to this son of Jesse. And so when Samuel went to Jesse's house, he said, okay, God has chosen one of your sons to be the next king. How many sons do you have? Well, I've got eight. <laughs> he brought them. He didn't bring all eight. He just brought the oldest seven. And God said no seven times. Well, where's number eight? Well, he's still out with the sheep. He couldn't possibly. If David walks in. God says, that's my man. He is a man after my own heart. I love this kid. And Samuel anointed David. And the Holy Spirit came upon David. Now here, John the Baptist. Here is John the Baptist. Baptizing Jesus. And he witnesses and John the Baptist is a miracle child. You read the account. It's a very lengthy account in the Gospel of Luke. John the Baptist was a miracle child just like Samuel. And Jesus comes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist instantly recognizes, hey, you should be baptizing me, not, be, not me baptizing. Uh, let's just do it, John. Let's just do it. And as Jesus came up out of the water, I'm... This is my own I'm, this is, I'm not going to go to the stake over this, but I think this is when Jesus became the Christ because God the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. He was anointed, so to speak, at that time. Just as David was anointed, the Holy Spirit came upon him as the, at the same time as the oil was put on him by John, by Samuel. So Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And the words of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What had God said about David? This is a man after my own heart. Well, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Beautiful prophetic pattern from David, Samuel and David replicated with John the Baptist and Jesus. That was all for free. Okay. I do too. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. God the Father directly speaking to God the Son. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I find no fault with you. Ladies and gentlemen, Well, there obviously is powerful testimony here about our Lord, about our Lord. But I think a great lesson we can draw from this is what Jesus stated in Matthew eleven eleven. If you can be more humble than John the Baptist, he is an example for us. Am I so dedicated and committed to getting the message out that I'm willing to make life choices that may be very uncomfortable in order to get that message out there quickly, clearly, powerfully?
Can we make that a prayer consideration for ourselves this week? Lord, is there some orientation about me in my, the way I use my hours? Even what clothes I may wear? Whatever. Lord, if there's some way I can become a more clear, straight-from-the-shoulder witness for you, please show me and grant to me that Holy Spirit incentive to do it just as John the Baptist did it that we might be his testifiers in this place. Can we pray together right now for that? Our Lord, the day is coming when we are going to stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ, a judgment for rewards. And we want to be able to go through that process without, with as little regret as possible. We are asking that this week you will disclose to us any lifestyle change, any, any time use change that we could make that would be in fact, make us in fact, more effective testifiers for you in this culture. We ask you for this in your name, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Going to invite you to stand.